You've had that feeling when you realize something, but it's too late. When all you want to do is just step back in time, but all you get is just to turn around and stare at it. And you wish for a different outcome. You wish for a second chance. But you don't get it. I've got a pocket full of those kind of feelings. I was there that day at the foot of the cross. A shell of a man, a heart hardened to emotion, to death, to gore. I was the one that nailed him to it like I had done hundreds of times to countless thieves and robbers and rebels that had gone before him. But that man, he did things. He said things. Life just didn't seep out of him. He seemed to decide when to let go. You ever been in a conversation with someone that says that they, um, that they forgive you and you kind of bow up because you don't think you need forgiven, but deep down you know there isn't something just quite right? And you do one or two things. You, you either keep thinking about it and it just makes you angry or... That man, uh, Jesus, that day on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he looked at me. He, uh, he looked at me. And then it, and then it just, it just hit me like, like a, like a, like a, like, like a, like a, like a, like a, like a biting wind. I break people. Break their bones. I nail their hands and their feet. I stab them in the side. Why do you need forgiven when you're just doing your job and you're just doing it right? I'm the one that needs to be forgiven. I looked up at him and I knew he was and is 
the Son of God. As we begin this journey of um, gazing upon this cross and what happened there and what was said there and how much it means to us, it'll be a journey at times um, very solemn, at times very painful, but always, always with joy. We start today with my prayer for all of us, me included, that we might be able to crawl our weary souls into that pronoun, them. Father, forgive them. Let's pray. Lord, I ask for you to, um, in your great love from your word, that you'd use my words um, as your mouthpiece to your people who need to be reminded of the great amazing grace and love that happened on that cross. And those who have never, ever realized that they can be part of the them, would you do that work of salvation, of reminding, of giving us hearts, of understanding forgiveness, and being able to forgive others? Lord, I know that when we proclaim the gospel, the enemy attacks. And so I pray you'd use this time, my words, as a spiritual punch right to them, that we will not back down for proclaiming the truth of how someone can be forgiven. So we ask for your blessings and the short time in your word together as your church. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. So we, we're... Um, um, going to, uh, I'll put it on the screen, but if you want to open up to it or use Pew Bible or your Bible, it's uh, Luke chapter 23. We're going to start in verse 32. By the way, those Pew Bibles, I haven't mentioned this in a while, but if you don't own a Bible and want one, uh, take that. It's our gift. Or you know someone who needs a Bible, take that and, and give it to them. We'll, we'll replenish it. Um, I heard there's a big game on today. So enjoy whether you like commercials or snacks or the Puppy Bowl or Super Bowl, whatever. I don't know. Do they do the Puppy Bowl anymore? I don't know. Whatever. Um, if you're 40 and under, you're still kind of confused. You used to think this was the Patriots Invitational. Um, now you know, like us old guys, we remember when it was not. So hopefully you enjoy that or don't watch it and go for a walk and enjoy that. But either way, um, we're... As we get to, to this verse, I'm well aware that most of us, probably all of us to some degree, know what happened leading up to this. But it's not in my nature to just skip over that. So let me just kind of set the scene for you. So Jesus um, has not sinned. He's never done anything wrong according to God's law, right? And he's lived his life, and he's had public ministry for close to about three years, um, but he's enraged some very powerful people. And, and so uh, one of his apostles, Judas, one of the 12, betrays him. And so 
as he's praying in the garden, after he's done praying, the, the Romans come, the guards, soldiers, they come and they arrest him. They put him in chains. They put him in bondage. They drag him away. And they put on that night a false trial. You're not supposed to trial, try anyone at night. That was in the, you know, but they did it. And they had false trumped up charges, uh, trumped up witnesses, right? And they decide, you know, that he's guilty and they slap him and they spit on him and they mock him and they put him in a jail cell for the next morning. And he waits there all night. The next morning, early, they bring him to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, because they couldn't, they didn't have the authority. They wanted him dead. So they give him over to Pilate. Pilate's there. He doesn't usually live there. But he stays in Jerusalem at Passover time because, uh, it, think of it, because Jews just hated the Romans and they wanted to rebel against them. And so think of it like this pile of dynamite just waiting for one fuse to be lit. And so Pilate was like, can't let that happen. So that morning, coming dragging to Pilate's home and headquarters there was a potential fuse. And it was this man in chains named Jesus. And he interviews Jesus, and he finds he ain't done nothing, nothing wrong. And so he tries to convince the crowds that, but the Jewish leaders get them to, 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 to cry, crucify him, crucify him, just crucify him. And Pilate's like, come on, we don't. But eventually Pilate cared more about his own life and his own job, and so he condemned him to be scourged, which is the worst possible beating you can ever imagine the Romans would do. They were expert at torture and then to be condemned to die of crucifixion, which is the worst form of torture and capital punishment humankind has ever devised. And the Roman soldiers, they, they mocked him, they beat him, they whipped him, they spit on him, they put a crown of thorns on him, making fun of the fact that he was supposedly a king. And then what, ha what would happen is they would usually carry the crossbeam from the city, the few hundred yards outside of the city, where they would, in a very public way, lift them up and crucify him. Jesus was lo losing so much blood and so exhausted that he fell a few times. And so a man named Simon was enlisted to help him. And so Jesus, weary and bloody and beaten and mocked, comes to where Luke says this, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. Very important. Jesus didn't do this alone. He was with two transgressors, two criminals. Luke calls them criminals. The other gospels call them robbers. What they're really trying to stay away from is the word insurrectionist. Because that's probably what they were, but many wanted Jesus to be like that, right? So they, they just stayed away from that. That's not who Jesus was. He wasn't there to rebel against Rome, but they probably were. So Jesus is with, and so if you'd saw, if you didn't know anything else, you'd say three guys, they're all criminals. They're all deserving of death, but really only two were. Why is this important? Well, about 700 years before um, Jesus, there was a man, a prophet named Isaiah. And he talked a lot about this chosen one, anointed one or Messiah, or Christ. Uh, uh, he, he had these songs in Isaiah that they were called the suffering servant songs, which are kind of like, it's hard for them to understand. How is this Messiah, this chosen of God, to come to suffer? But he would. He would come, and, and, he, would be, and, and, and he would be the one who would bear the sin of Benny, who would believe, the remnant of believing Israel. 
And in that, I'm just going to give you one verse. This is why what Luke told us is so important. He says, therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors or the criminals. 700 years before Jesus, this was said. And I love this. Isaiah writes this, yet he bore the sin of many and he makes intercession for the transgressors. Do you know what intercession is? Have you ever heard of intercessory prayer? All that means is you stand in between, right? Like, like God, like when I, when I prayed for, for Bob and Nita about that, you know, like I was interceding. I was saying, God, I really, please give this to them. If someone's sick or, or hurt or needs something, you intercede. So what he says is this Messiah is going to come. He's going to be numbered with the criminals, and yet he's going to make intercession for them. And so he prayed, Father. Forgive them. Father, forgive them. Forgive the very criminals who are harming me. And so, and Luke tells us that when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. We'll get to them more next week. But, I want you to notice that um, the, the, the first thing to notice is all the Gospels, they don't go into great details of the gruesomeness of crucifixion. It doesn't mean the movies and the shows that do that are wrong, but they didn't. They were far more concerned about what it did, what it accomplished, than the gruesome details of it. But make no mistake, it was gruesome. Crucifixion was something that we think that Assyrians started. The Romans just perfected it. And again, it was, about, it was in place for about 900 years until Constantine, the emperor of Rome, outlawed it, 337, because it was so bad. Even in Jesus' day, if you were a Roman citizen, even if you were the worst of the worst, if you were a Roman citizen, you weren't allowed to be crucified. It was too bad. It was too horrible. And so they get to this, this place um, it's called the skull, right? Probably looked like a skull. You'll see other gospels call it Golgotha, which is just Aramaic for skull. Luke didn't use Aramaic language because his readers were mostly Gentile and wouldn't have understood it. You might have heard of the word Calvary. That's Latin for skull. Outside the city, here they come, and it's there that they would take that crossbeam Sometimes use rope, but often they would nail, right? Just like they did to Jesus. We know they did that um, because he showed his scars, his hands and his, and his feet. We even have um, archaeologists found bones of a man who had been crucified, and there's still part of a, a nail in his feet, and, and so they, they would have done that, right? And, and usually, um, you, well, you could die of sometimes, it would sometimes take days, and you could die of exhaustion, blood loss. You could die of um, thirst. Usually, it was asphyxiation where you can't breathe. Because if you're, if, you're, if you're spread out and you're nailed to this cross, you have to lift up to be able to breathe. What they would do is they would put like a shoehorn type thing right about there, right? And, and that wasn't for mercy reasons. That was to prolong it. Because when you can't breathe as a human being, have you ever been in that spot? You just, 
you just do it. You don't care, right? You just have to try to breathe. And so even though it would prolong their suffering, they would lift up and breathe, lift up and breathe. And that's what they did to Jesus. And they put him in the middle of the transgressors, the, the criminals. And it's in that, in that place that he fulfills that. And Jesus said, Father, still calls him Father. He knows what he's enduring. He's feeling the worst possible. And he also knows what's coming. What's coming is even worse than the physical torture. What's coming is when the darkness descends. What's coming is when he actually becomes the guilt of our sin. He becomes our sin. And, 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 and the father pours his wrath out on him. Jesus, this wasn't a surprise. He knew, and the Hebrews writer said he with joy went to it. Even though it was so bad. Father, Father, he says, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. They cast lots. Some think that it was while they were nailing him to that cross that he said this. We don't know for sure. What we know is as he endures that agony, that would be a time that I don't know about you, but I would not blame him for not having a selfish prayer, but a self-focused one. Help me, strengthen me, whatever it might be. But what he's thinking of is the very people who are doing it to him. And he intercedes for the transgressors. So he says, Father, forgive them. So who are the them? Isn't that a good question? Who are the them? The them obviously include the people around the cross. It includes the soldiers who abused him, mercilessly nailed him to that cross and mocked him and put the crown of thorns on his head. It includes the people who are just kind of there watching. It includes the Jewish Sanhedrin, the high council, who handed him over. The them. But many think, and I would agree, that the them includes anyone, including us, who would sin against God. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. So you might think, Jamie, because I thought about this, well, what does it mean? Because when I sin, when I lie, when I steal, when I lust, when I do things like that, I know what I'm doing. So what, is it, what could it possibly mean that you don't know what you're doing? And here's what I think is really crucially, maybe super important, maybe the most important thing that you need to reflect on today. And that is <laughs> that even when you know you sin, you really don't know. You and I really don't understand the depths of the wickedness, the, the affront, the insult that it is to the holiness of God. That we kind of know, but we devalue it. We diminish it. We don't, we don't really understand. Father, forgive Jamie because he doesn't really know. He doesn't really know. I want you to imagine you get to go to your favorite Italian restaurant. If you don't like Italian, sub in whatever your favorite. We're just going to go with Italian. And it's the best. Five star. Best chef in him. It's North End. It's, it's just the best. And even better, you're not going to be paying for it. Always tastes better when you don't pay for it. You get there, and it's the best you've ever had. Best sauce, best meat, best pasta, best salad. Oh, it's, you're just, you're eating, it's amazing. And then the chef comes out. And the chef comes out, he's a five-star chef. He comes out and he's like, do you like your meal? And, you, and you're like, it's so good, thank you so much. And he's like, good, phew. 
I was a little nervous. I thought it would be fine. I didn't think it was a big deal. But when I was making your dish, I sneezed. And just a little bit of my phlegm went into your sauce. And I really didn't think it was a big deal. And clearly it isn't. You don't even taste it. How would you react? Some of you would use the knife that you hadn't even used for on the chef. Some of you would go, some of you be angry. Granted, if you were literally starving to death, you might do it, but I doubt many of us are in that boat, right? And, and, and I don't know if that analogy holds up. I'm just trying to say, when you think it's no big deal, that white lie, nobody got hurt when I lusted after that person. Nobody that you need to know that someone was hurt, God was. And it's no big deal to us, but it, it is a, he is holy, Two weeks ago when we talked about Uzzah, when he, when he touched the Ark of the Covenant and died, some of us were like, what? what? Why would God? We need to understand the holiness of God. I know. I know this isn't popular to talk about anymore. And some of that is because some pastors have done damage to people's souls because that's all they talk about. Others have done damage to people's souls because they never talk about it. How can you understand the depths of God's compassion on that cross. How can you understand amazing grace, how sweet the sound that he would save a wretch like me if you don't understand the holiness of God, if you don't understand the affront even my littlest of sin is to him. He is not a celestial Santa Claus that accepts our value of good. I might be better than my moronic neighbor. I'm probably not. But that's nothing when it comes to God. And so when he says, forgive them, you and I can be part of the them, but we got to understand what that means. Otherwise we'll lose the gospel completely. Father, forgive, fill in your name. Don't see it as some generic thing. The gospel applied to you, your life. In the height of his pain, he intercedes on our behalf. And then while he's doing that, they take his clothes. Now, some think he had a loincloth. Others think he was probably naked. Either way, in our culture, think of the shame of being publicly naked. Times are by a million in his culture. And he's on that cross, naked or covered, just very little, watching the very people he's saving Gamble away his clothes. I don't know if you've ever heard of um, Corrie Ten Boom. She belonged to a Christian family. And she was the lone survivor in her family of the Holocaust and the concentration camps. And Corrie Ten Boom talks about this passage. See, what, what she said happened, even though they were starving and they were bloated and they were dirty and they were all of the shame of being a prisoner in one of those camps, that the, the soldiers for fun would strip them naked and have them parade before them while they laughed. She said it was the deepest, worst shame you could ever possibly endure. But she said one day she was walking behind her sister Betsy and, and, and she's thinking about the deep shame. And then this verse rushed into her and she said, Betsy, 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 they took his clothes too. They took his clothes too. And she said she heard a gasp and Betsy stopped and said, oh, Corey, and I never thanked him for it. I never thanked him for it. 
I thought, you know, in this season with these scriptures that are so familiar to a lot of us, maybe read through them slowly and just thank Jesus every step of the way. Maybe just thank Jesus for the, for the thorns. Thank Jesus for enduring the nakedness and the shame. Thank Jesus for enduring the mockery. Thank you, Jesus, for enduring the nails, for enduring and becoming my sin. And as Luke tells it, the people stood by watching, but the rulers, they scoffed at him, saying, that would be the Jewish rulers, right? He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, and, and, and you'll notice in Luke especially, there's a purposeful uh, sliding down the hill of mockery. What I mean by that is the highest, the, the, the respected Jews who were in the, the leaders, they mock him first. We're going to see in a second. The, the, the soldiers, uh, Roman soldiers mock him, and then one of them, both of them actually criminals themselves mock him. And they mock him viciously. There's something about the name of Jesus that then and today will bring out some of the most vile anger possible. Have you ever noticed that? Go to work and say, God bless you. It'll be okay. Say, Jesus Christ bless you. See what happens. His name brings out the worst of some and the best of others. I'll leave you to try to figure out why. But the mockery, as they mock him, see the irony. As they say, right, over and over, he's the Christ, the chosen one of God, right? The, the, the Christ of God. He saved others. They're, 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 they're saying he's not these things, but ironically, he really is. They see that what happens on the cross is evidence that he's not the chosen one of God when it's actually evidence that he is that he is the chosen one of God, that he is the suffering servant, that he is the king of kings. And so they think they put an end to him, but they really just started a beginning. Soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. Remember now, this is why sometimes it was cross-shaped rather than a T, is they would put up the crime, right? Whatever you did, be right here. So everyone who passed by would be like, I don't want to do that. That's, I don't want to end up on that cross. But Pilate knew he had done nothing wrong. So just to tease the, the, the Sanhedrin, he, he, he had them write, he's the king of the Jews. And even though Pilate didn't believe it, and it enraged those who, who he was trying to enrage, what he was doing prophetically announces the truth. He is the king of kings. He is the king of the Jews. And so the first saying of Jesus, Father, forgive them. I already alluded to it. Bob quoted earlier, Charles Spurgeon. We talk about Charles Spurgeon so much, you think he was an elder on staff here at the church. But he's not. He's with the Lord. He was a London preacher called the Prince of Preachers in London in the 1800s. And this is a much smaller quote, and I'm just going to summarize it. When he was talking about that, that saying of Jesus, he said, oh, what a wonderful, small pronoun, but a huge word, that word, them. And he said, how might I crawl my weary soul into that word, them? 
And so I ask you today, right? Can you, have you, will you crawl into the them? There's really two sides to this coin, right? The first we talked about, right? The, the first side of the coin is just recognizing, not devaluing what my sin is. That, 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 that certainly, right, that, that I, can, I can look at, at, at God and his holiness and realize I'm not good. I can't save myself by being good. I can't overcome this. I can't do it. It's too much. And yet, Jesus looks at you and says, Father, forgive them. And as he's interceding, he's the answer. Because there's always got to be an answer. God's not just going to overlook it. There needs to be someone who pays it. He's, he's, he's just. And so as he asks for God to forgive, there needs to be a basis of forgiveness. And he is the basis of forgiveness on the cross. Can you crawl into that word then? Can you say, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. My sin left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. The other side of the coin. And this is the hardest one for me to get across. Some of you think you're in this boat. Maybe someone watching at home or later on. Not me. I can't be in the them. I get what you're saying. It makes sense to me, but not me. That's for religious people that have been pretty good. They just need some help getting across that last lap, that finish line. But me, I've committed adultery. I've, I've, I've been in prison or I've been addicted or, or I've divorced or whatever unpardonable sin you think. That's why we say over and over and over again here, you cannot out sin the cross. That's why we just sang the cross. It's enough. It's enough. You aren't the first person that found a sin that's so bad that he, Jesus is like, I didn't pay for that. There's no such thing. Can you get past that guilt and shame that maybe others are heaping on you and realize that he took it all and all to him you owe? He's not on that cross anymore. That's why he's not. Sometimes people ask me, why isn't Jesus on the cross? Because he's not there anymore. The tomb is empty. He's at the right hand of the Father, and, and he's coming again in power and glory, and he's going to claim his own, and that can be you. But you got to crawl in faith. It's a crawl. It's rarely a, a here I come. It's mostly a, I just can't do it. That's beautiful. When you come to the end of yourself and you realize he's done it. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of Christians in the room they're still holding on, not to consequences, those happen, but guilt, isn't there? You're like, I trust Jesus, and I know he saved me, and I'm going to heaven, but I'm still guilty for what? You're not guilty. He was guilty for you on the cross. It's done. Let it go. It's got you in bondage. It's got you in chains. Lay it at his feet. Let it go. Can you crawl into the deepest place of compassion of the Savior who took it all? What I'm going to do 
I'm going to pause. I still got one more. I promise it's much quicker point. But I'm going to ask you, you can look down, you can close your eyes, you can whatever, just to be able to focus and breathe, okay? And I'm just going to ask you that question. And I want you to ask it to the Lord, ask it to your own heart. Have I crawled into the word them and received the forgiveness that Jesus prayed for on that cross? Not of your parents, not of you gone to church, not do you own a Bible or have the Bible up on your phone. Have you, by faith, said, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me? And if the answer is no or not yet, I just invite you. You have to believe right now all you need to do. Jesus, you paid it all for me. Save me. Save me. Before you open your eyes, the Christians in the room, is there something you're still carrying? Maybe you picked up again along the way. Guilt of something you've done. Can you right now recognize that's what the cross was all about? We don't mean to, but we sort of diminish the power of the cross when we still carry guilt. Can you right now lay it at his feet, whatever that might be? Jesus, you paid for this. I'm not picking it up anymore. It's got me in bondage. Let me pray for you. Father, would you save anyone who's not saved here? Truly save. That they might be born again in Christ. They might receive your spirit. We might see baptized. But Father, the many Christians, me included, that we have these things that we carry would you show us how to have the strength to be free of the guilt that you paid in full? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, one more point, I promise. Now, how fast something is very subjective. Just remember that, okay? I don't want to break promises, but no, it's, it, won't be, it won't be long. The second question is, and this is now, if you're still dealing with that first one, it's okay. It's enough. But... For many of us, we're like, yeah, we're in Christ. Okay, so here's the second question that has to be asked. Can you now see others as the them? Can you see others as the them? And now I'm not talking about your family who you love. I mean, that's great. I'm pretty sure you can see that. Or your friends who you like, that's fine. Or maybe people who just think, oh, they're pretty nice. That's fine. Can you see your enemies? Can you see the people who have hurt you? Can you see the people that drive you insane? The people of the other political party that you... Can you see it them as the them? There's a story of this guy. Multi-billionaire. He's actually in the church in the room right now. I'm just kidding. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm like, who is it? No. If you are, I want to see you afterwards. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, all right, so, so what he would do is, he, is part of his, his multi-conglomerate companies is he would, he would give money out to start other companies, right? And he loaned, which to him wasn't a lot, but it was, a, it, was, it was several million dollars to this other guy who wanted to start a company that would loan like car loans and home loans, that kind of thing. And, and so the guy uh, lent him millions of dollars and, and he, you know, despite all kinds of warnings, hasn't paid it back. Anything, not even any of the interests. So he has this guy hauled into his office. And he's like, look, man, I don't want to be a jerk, but you got to start paying this back or you're finished. And the guy who hadn't paid any money back, he falls on his knees. He's like, please, 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 please. My family, my kids, I got this, I got that. And the guy's like, oh, you know what? I got billions of dollars. 
And he says to him, I don't want this to be a stress to you. I care about your family. In fact, let's just rip up the debt. You owe me nothing. You're good. Imagine if that was you. <laughs> he went off to his favorite burger place. Not Italian place, just so we're clear. And he, and he got a burger and a beer, and he's just sitting there hanging out. And he's enjoying this feels like the light off his shoulders. And then he notices a guy who his company had lent $9,000 to buy a car. And he had missed one payment. It's like 200 and something bucks. And he went over to him and he said, where's my money? You missed a payment. The guy's like, I just lost my job. I got an interview Tuesday. I promise I won't miss another payment. And he's like, I want my money right now or I'm calling the police and I'm having your car towed. Please, no, don't care. Someone overhears it in the restaurant who actually works for the billionaire and calls him on the phone and says what he just saw. The billionaire hauls that guy right back in and said, I was going to tear up the debt, but no longer. Now it's on you and you are finished. Sound familiar to some of you? It's a parable Jesus told. I gave a modern day spin on it. But it's the same point that Jesus said was the point of the parable, and that is, for he or she who has been forgiven much, much we must forgive. The more you gaze upon what Christ did for you there, the more you must be willing to forgive those who have harmed you. When we devalue what Christ has done for us, we start to devalue the importance of us forgiving others. That's how it works. Jesus, long before uh, Luke, uh, when things were still really good and teaching a lot of people, he said, but I say to you who hear me, right, my words, love your enemies. This ain't Valentine's Day love. This isn't get flowers and candies love. This is a gritty, I'm going to love you even though you're my enemy. He says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. You might have been in the crowd that day and say, oh, what a pastorly thing to say. Who could ever really live up to that standard? Who could do it? Jesus on the cross, the best practice what you preach ever, isn't it? Pray for those who abuse you. Come on. Love your enemies. And so Jesus expects the same for us. Right? The more we understand the forgiveness of God found on the cross, the more we apply it to others. Um, Corey Ten Boom, who I mentioned earlier, she used to speak eloquently and write eloquently, especially on the subject of forgiveness. And one day, and I, you can actually look this up. You can't, I don't think you can see the video. Maybe I'm wrong, but I heard the audio of her very eloquent describing this better than I could do it. But this is what happened. She was speaking, and she, and she realized as she was speaking on forgiveness, in the crowd was one of the concentration camp guards that had tortured her and her family for a long time. The death of her sister, her dad, so many others. And so she sees, imagine that. And after she's, she's done, he, he comes up to her, and he says, I have found Jesus, and I know that I'm forgiven of all my sins. And I pleaded with God to give me the opportunity to ask someone I've hurt so badly to forgive me. So will you forgive me? And she describes it. She was frozen like, no way. There's forgiveness and then there's forgiveness, right? And she thought all that. But as she, she said, what came into her mind is he who for, has realized they've been forgiven much, must also forgive. 
In fact, if we do not forgive, then we are not forgiven. And so she realized it meant everything. And so she looked at him and she reached out her hand and she said, brother, I forgive you. And she felt the freedom. The consequences of all that damage were still there. Only God can heal those things. And no one's asking you to go back into an abusive situation or purposely get hurt or anything like that. But the only one who's in bondage over your hatred and your bitterness and your anger and your refusal to forgive is you. They're like chains. And so I want to give you an opportunity to ask that second question. Can I see others as the them? So you can close your eyes or look down again. We'll invite the worship team up as I close. But as you do that, who comes into your mind? <laughs> For some of you, it's immediate. There's a person or people who you've tried to forgive in the past. Maybe you even have, but right now there's anger. Others might take a little while. Let God sift through. Is there someone that still hate, still angry, bitter towards? Can you, as you in your mind and in your heart, as you gaze upon the cross of what God has done for you in Christ, can you forgive that person right now? Doesn't mean you won't have to forgive him again in the future. You probably will. But right now, can you let yourself be free of those bondages of, of, of anger and hate and just say, I forgive. I forgive. I forgive. If you can't, you want to be real. Fake, faking doesn't help anybody. So simply just right now, let's just ask God for help. To supernaturally help you to forgive someone that you're just trying so hard. They hurt you so deeply. The wound is so great. The baggage that, that comes with it is so much. But you want to be free from that. Father, I pray for your help to all of us who need to forgive. In this season, as we think about you, Jesus, we think about you are able to forgive us in the deepest moment of pain. How much more through your grace and your strength can we forgive others? Give us that strength to today just forgive and be free from it. It's holding us down. It's weighing on us, Lord. We give you these people. We give you these individuals. We give you these circumstances. Help us to forgive. In Jesus' name we pray. If you're capable of it, would you stand and sing with me?